Welcome everyone to a special Breaking Big Blue. I'm excited about this one. I know you guys and girls are as well. This is going to be what I call the state of the Giants, right? Two and seven Giants. Again, second straight year under this regime. Pat Shermer, the coach. Dave Gettleman, the general manager. They brought back an aging quarterback. Again, tried to compete to some degree. And we are now in what? Early November? It's the first week of November right now. And the season's over. Flat over. Playoffs, not, you can't even like pretend the playoffs are a possibility. That's where we're at. So, in honor of this week's or this year's State of the Giants, we don't know if General Manager Dave Gettleman, owner John Mara, if they're going to be available during the bye week next week. If they, they had, didn't do it last year, I don't believe. So, we're not really sure if there's going to be a, an official State of the Giants. So, that's what we're here for. We're going to bring you the ultimate State of the Giants with myself and the venerable Evan Silva. And if you know a little about Evan Silva from Established the Run, he's an NFL savant, really. If you don't read his matchup column each week, you're basically handing your fantasy, your money in fantasy or DFS to, to your competitors. I mean, this guy follows the league, knows the league very well. Now, he has been a very, very, and let me stress, very vocal giant critic, especially of Dave Gettleman. And if results matter, and we all know if results do matter, because it's a results-oriented business, hasn't done a very good job. So that's why we're here. We're going to do a State of the Giants with myself and Evan Silva. And we're going to do a little Dave Gettleman and even Pat Shermer a little bit. Job review. And you know what? It's going to be fire. So let's get going. Okay. Here's what we're doing here. Evan's here with us now. And we're really giving the people what they want. Because the people, the fans, they're pissed off. And for good reason. Right now the Giants are two and seven. Believe it or not, this is the third straight year they're two or seven and worse. And how about this stat? Since the start of twenty seventeen, there is no team in the NFL, no team with a worse record than the New York Giants. And that includes the Cleveland Browns, who have an O and sixteen in there. It's hard to believe, right, Evan? I mean, come on. The, the Giants organization is at that depth at this point. They have definitely reached a low. Um, and, you know, I guess the question is going to be, you know, how do they get themselves out of this low? Right. Um, yeah, and that's what we're going to talk about on this podcast. Yeah, well, you've been a heavy critic, right? I mean, of Dave Gettleman and the Giants in general the past few <laughs> years. And that's why you're here, right? Because let's be honest, we... we this is the time to go over what has gone wrong because it keeps going wrong. So let's first start out by laying the, the, the groundwork, the framework. What What is it about this organization and the way they've operated in these past few years? We're really going to concentrate on the past two years because as much as they've had, you know, they might have overarching problems that stretch beyond, 
it's impossible to really blame the past mistakes on the current regime in regards to Pat Shermer and Dave Gettleman. That, that would be unfair. But so we're concentrating on those two years. Why have you been such a harsh critic? So I think that a lot of people will think that I just hate the Giants because I've been hard on them, but I really just think that they deserve it. You know, just like the Redskins do. I'm hard on the Redskins, just like the Bengals do, just like the Browns were in that category for a long time and really probably still should be. Right. Uh, the Raiders have been for a long time. They're kind of starting to pull themselves out. It looks like maybe. Um, the Broncos are, are getting there for sure. The Jets, even the Bears, I think, are trending back in that direction. These are the dregs of the NFL. The, the Giants are on pace for their sixth losing season in seven years. They've had one season with a positive point differential since 2012. Their point differential over the last two and a half seasons is minus 264, Jeez. which means they're being outscored by more than a touchdown per game. They are 7-18 and 18 with a minus 122 point differential since they replaced Jerry Reese with Dave Gettleman, which means that they're being outscored by five points per game on Gettleman's watch. I mean, they're at the NFL basement, and that's why they get criticized. And it's well deserved. I mean, that, I like to say, I like to say, people always say I'm so negative. I'm so negative, but you brought up all that losing, right? I came on the beat in 20 to 2013. They were already 0 and 6 at the time, but it's been a bad run since 2013. You're talking about one quality campaign during that time. So I like to say, you know, I'm not, I don't hate the Giants either. I like to say I'm a realist, right? And this is where they are and this is what they deserve. I'm not going to sit here. And I think you're the same way. And we're not going to sit there and give them, you know, this eternal optimism that comes around every offseason in the NFL for pretty much every franchise. And as a fan, you, you kind of want that, right? I mean, you want to at least have some hope, but you also want a dose of reality. And that's why we're here. So they have Daniel Jones. They have Pat Shermer as the head coach. They have Dave Gettleman as the GM. But where is this franchise right now, in your estimation? I think it's in a very strange state because of the lot, a lot of the moves that they made this offseason. You know, I've seen you call it a rebuild, and I understand, you know, that like that kind of uh, that, that kind of perspective. But rebuilding teams do not keep Eli Manning. True rebuilding teams not keep Eli Manning on the roster at a twenty-three million dollar cap hit. You know, true right. rebuilding teams. And I think that Golden Tate has played pretty well. I mean, he, you know, he's only played in a few games because he was suspended for four games. He but can still play. He can still play. Yeah, absolutely. But I don't think that true rebuilding teams go about signing an over 30 slot receiver to a big contract, you know. So they made these decisions, like, and they, they talked about it. Like, they, they thought that they could be competitive. They just, they have really struggled to, um, and I don't think that uh, rebuilding teams trade, you know, future draft picks for Leonard Williams either. Right, when he's about and, to and come on the free agent market as well. Exactly. And I don't think that true rebuilding teams make those moves. And I also think that they're, they, they're kind of like trying to half-step. If they are doing yeah. a rebuild, they're half-stepping the rebuild. It's not a full rebuild. This is what I was going to say. Have, I agree with this 100% right now. And, and, and they have struggled to uh, – scout their own team, their own talent, because they talked about a KC model, but the KC model is, you know, sustained winning and then transferring the quarterback position 
and then more sustained winning. They haven't had any sustained winning, and they've also uh, poorly um, uh, uh, internally scouted, and I think that that's one of the biggest differences between the good teams in the NFL and the bad teams. The good teams are good at internal scouting of just realizing how talented their own rosters are, and the Giants are one of the bad teams because they have not been able to effectively evaluate their own talent, and that really begins and ends over the last four or five seasons with their evaluation of Eli Manning, but it also has extended to other players on the roster. Absolutely. I mean, the, the KC model thing was always just laughable, right? Because they they weren't in the same category as the Chiefs. They still had to play a quarterback who was playing at the time at a Pro Bowl level, and they were winning. They were making the playoffs. The Giants were coming off 3-13. and 13. So that, that was always just silly. I mean, that was just ridiculous. Now, they do have a, a – this is why I call it a rebuild. They, they don't – like, I, I agree with you 100%, right? They're not rebuilding the right way, in my estimation. Teams that like half rebuild or re- try to rebuild on the fly, which is what the Giants are doing, are the teams that end do end up perpetually rebuilding, right? But they do have the young quarterback, so the reality is they're in some sort of rebuild. So where do you stand on Daniel Jones, and where were you before the draft, and have you come around on him if you were if you were critical of it? Yeah, I mean, I don't pretend to be some great quarterback evaluator, and I don't think that anyone should because not even the NFL teams themselves are good at quarterback evaluation. (laughs) Let's just look at the 2006 through 2016 drafts, okay? I mean, we could talk about the 2017, 2018, 2019 drafts, but, you know, the, the results are not in on those. We have pretty good results on 2006 through 2016. There were 29 first round quarterbacks taken, just nine of them. Nine out of 29 turned out to be hits. That's a 31% hit rate, and that's being generous because I extended it to guys like Jay Cutler and Jameis Winston who were or are long-term starters but haven't been great. Marcus so, Mariota coming on the failed on that? I did put him in the fail bucket, yeah. Okay. Um, so, I, look, I pretty much fly by the seat of my pants with quarterback evaluations because mine aren't very good and neither is anybody else's. At this stage, I mean, I would say that I like Daniel Jones. First, I'd like that he just unseated Eli Manning so quickly because I was tired of watching Eli Manning. Um, (laughs) For good reason. It was like, I always say it was like Groundhog's Day around here. Like, watch, oh my God, we're really going back to this again. Right. And he was a quarterback that, you know, especially towards the end, he made everyone around him look worse. And that carried on for for years with him. It drove Odell out of town. Odell's out of town because he wanted to move on from Eli Manning. That that was the that was at the genesis of Odell Beckham Jr. not being on the Giants right now. Yeah, so I'm glad that we're seeing a guy out there who can move in Daniel Jones. You know, um, he picked up what three or four first downs on de- design runs in this uh, last Monday night game against the Cowboys. Those runs were not even in the playbook with Eli. And so, listen, Daniel Jones has to work on some flaws. Everybody knows about his ball security. He's got a tendency to hold on to the ball too long a little bit at times. But I think that he's firm and confident in the pocket. He's willing to take shots downfield. He can move. And I know he hasn't won many games, but I think that he's made the Giants a pretty refreshing team to watch more often than not this season. So let's do a little exercise, right? And obviously, like you said, it's always a moving scale with quarterbacks. Yeah. It's really hard. No one, no one is, no one kills it on quarterback evaluations. Everyone's up and down. But as things stand right now, we're at what week, nine weeks into the season. 
you have a choice. Right? Let's go through Daniel Jones versus the quarterbacks from the first round quarterbacks from the last two years. Who are you taking, Daniel Jones or Baker Mayfield? I mean, I'd take Baker straight up right now because just because he's had more good games in the NFL than Daniel Jones, but it is a lot, lot, lot closer than I expected before the season. That's for sure. Yeah, it's, um, it's it's hard. It's almost hard to remember that Baker set the rookie touchdown record at this point because this has been yeah. a bad year for him. And and I I was huge on Baker. I thought he was going to be a complete winner, and this has been he's been very disappointing this year. Yeah, and I mean, some of that is due to coaching. Some of that is due to offensive line play. But even when he has been kept clean in the pocket, he's been bad. Yeah, the, he's been really bad this year. I mean, I think Daniel Jones has been better than Baker this year. But just there's a, a bigger body of work with Baker. We've seen him play, uh, you know, a bunch more good games um, than than, uh, than than Daniel Jones has so far. Daniel Jones or Sam Darnold? This is the one that really matters, right? Because this is essentially right. what the Giants' choice was going to be. And I think that the answer is pretty much the same with Baker Mayfield. The recency bias is real strong right right now, though, on Sam Darnold because he's been horrific. I don't think he was as bad in in this uh, in this past game as he was against the Jaguars and the Patriots, but against the Jaguars and the Patriots. But that one decision just makes you like, well, come on, man! Like, what are you doing? Like near the goal line? Like, come on! Like, can he? And it really makes you think, like. Can this guy really be good long term? And I sat there and th- thought that the whole time. Like, if he's going to make a play that dumb, uh, you're, you're talking about the fumble that went went into the end zone, no, right? I'm talking about the Darnold interception near the, the end zone, the goal line yeah. interception when it was just such a poor decision. I mean, just so silly. I mean, he looks like a player whose confidence is shot right now. Yeah, and that's so, not a good thing. No, that's not a good thing. I mean, I think that this one's closer than than Baker. Uh, versus Darnold uh, or Baker uh, Baker versus Daniel Jones. I'm still going to go with Sam Darnold, but I think it's like it's like a coin flip right now. I mean, it's gotten to that point, and I didn't expect it to get to, to that point. Sam Darnold played really well at in the, the final end of last four year. games yep. last year when he came back from his mono. You know, he beat the Cowboys. The Cowboys are a really good football team, and he played really well in that game. And then it has just been it's been a, a landslide you know, downhill ever since. So it's, it's a coin flip right now. Yeah, that could change easily, that, that one, as the rest of the season unfolds. But Daniel Jones or Josh Allen, Bills quarterback? This is an interesting one because Josh Allen is easily in the best situation of all these quarterbacks that we're talking about. And that kind of creates a bias in his favor. He's got the best offensive line. Uh, he's got the best group of weapons, I would say. I know Cleveland – theoretically should have the best group of weapons but Odell hasn't played real real well uh and David Njoku has been hurt the, uh by far the Bills have the best defense of all these quarterbacks that we've discussed not even close and, and, that, and that can minimize the impact of his mistakes so it, it's hard to take a side honestly and I also kind of ha- have a little bit of personal bias with Josh Allen because I write about fantasy football and he's pretty good <laughs> right. at fantasy football um but yeah I Ah, this is, You're starting I, I a team I, right now. Who do you take? One, two, three, I go. Starting a team right now, and we don't have this infrastructure that has already been set in place for Josh Allen. I would go with Daniel Jones over Josh Allen. I probably would too. All right, these yep. two, I'm only going to ask you because you kind of have to, right? Because we're going through all the first round quarters, but I think I know your answers on both. Daniel Jones or Josh Rosen, and Daniel Jones or Lamar Jackson. I mean, you need a smart coaching staff willing to build the offense around the player as opposed to trying to fit the player into the coaching staff scheme. And the Ravens have done a marvelous job 
of that with Lamar Jackson. He's a legit MVP candidate. So you're he's taking him, no brainer. He's the easy choice over Darnold, Baker, Rosen, Daniel Jones, etc. And then Daniel Jones over Rosen, I assume, no brainer as well. Yeah, because we, no-brainer. yeah, we've seen Josh Rosen now. Two teams, not totally sold on the guy. All right, Daniel Jones or Dwayne Haskins? That was the debate. Now it we was. stand here midway through the season. Where do you stand? And Dwayne Haskins fell all the way to 15, right? So, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the league w- was probably not as high as we thought that the league would be on Dwayne Haskins. That's that was a pretty significant fall. Um, he's only made one start. The jury is obviously still out. He's in probably the single worst organization in all the NFL and the Redskins. I mean, they've got players that aren't even willing to play for him, um, and, and for good reason. So I think that Daniel Jones, I mean, even with, with all those surrounding factors, I think that, that Daniel Jones is still the easy pick one for one over Dwayne Haskins based on everything we know right now. All right, so pretty high on Daniel Jones. So that's where we're at right now. The confidence level for a Giants turnaround, your confidence level for a Giants turnaround, with Pat Shermer as the coach and then Dave Gettleman as the GM, is what? So I think that, you know, just specifically with regard to Pat Shermer, he's done some things right. I think I like that he was finally able to turn the page to Daniel Jones, get this franchise moving forward. You know, Jerry Reese and Ben McAdoo wanted to do that before him, but they couldn't pull it off due to, you know, the ownership sentimentality, uh, I think uh, their devotion to Eli. So I think that Pat Shermer succeeded in that way. He got the ball rolling. Organization wasted two years in the meantime. Right. But that's where they are, of course. The play calling, the the design of the offense, I mean, I, I think I would be less than thrilled with those so far. Daniel Jones has been pressured at the highest rate in the NFL. Pat Shermer has not been able to fix that. That's a concern even behind a below-average offensive line. So I don't know if Pat Shermer is the front-line number one guy to blame, but he's certainly not without blame. I mean, there's no way that an offense can succeed with its quarterback being pressured on 44% of his dropbacks, and that's not not all on the quarterback himself, and it's not on the offensive line either. Yeah, I saw a stat that the quarter the Giants quarterbacks have taken the most hits this year, which is which is a very disconcerting fact. Uh, but let me just add this on Pat Shermer before we get to Gettleman for a second. Mm-hmm. If the Giants lose this week to the Jets, people don't realize what this ownership and what this organization, the disdain that they have for the Jets. That, that, that rivalry may not be as big as people realize because there are behind-the-scenes factors that have gone on over the years, and I know I've heard stories about the relationship between these two franchises. If the Giants lose this week and have six straight losses, including one to the Jets, and then have to go into their bye week, I'm not saying Pat Shermer's going to get fired. But there's going to be a discussion about his future, and it's not. It, it's it's probably not going to be very good. So with that being said, let's get along to your confidence level and a turnaround with Dave Gettleman making the personnel decisions. I would lean toward thinking that we're not going to see the Giants return to success under Dave Gettleman. There just have been too many mistakes. Um, he made mistakes on left tackles in Carolina with Matt Khalil, uh, and I think that Nate Solder has been a mistake. Uh, he pretended that the Giants could mirror that KC model, which suggested that they could e- essentially transition from Eli's success to Daniel Jones' success 
but Eli was not a winning quarterback for the previous half decade, and they haven't had success so far with Jones. He blew a third-round pick on the rumor of Sam Beal. He is allocating $23 million in cap space to Eli this season. It's early, but DeAndre Baker is not looking very good uh, as a first-round pick. Eli Apple, Damon, Damon Harrison, Devon Kennard, Romeo Aquara, Ross Cockrell, Weston Richburg, Jason Pierre-Paul, DJ Fluker, even Justin Pugh in Arizona, all these guys, Gettleman let go. These, these guys have all had success uh, elsewhere. They're all starters, right? let them go. Pretty much and all look, of them. And, and look, you know, a lot of these moves that he made, you know, were they kind of made sense at the time. But if we're going to play the hindsight results game, then, you know, a lot of, letting a lot of these guys go does not look very good. He's had some hits with Golden Tate and with Marcus Golden, but Jonathan Stewart, Solder, Patrick Omame, Kareem Martin, Connor Barwin, John Halapio, Alec Ogletree. I mean, for the most part, you know, these, these moves just have not worked out. So let's rate Dave Gettleman's – let's do a little job review, right, for Dave Gettleman. Rate it. Give me a rating of what, what, what the job that Dave Gettleman has done. Comes and takes over a team two years ago. They're 3-13. and 13. Obviously rolls back Eli. Starts, you know, eventually starts getting rid of everybody, all all these good players, uh, and bringing in a lot of the guys you just mentioned. So let's rate it A through F. Dave Gettleman regime so far. Look, I mean, so much of this, you know, grade here is going to depend on how Daniel Jones turns out. He's made what six, seven starts so far. Um, seven. I mean, he plays. He plays the most valuable position in pro sports, and if he turns into a franchise quarterback. So many of the mistakes will be covered up and forgotten, forgiven. I mean, no one's going to care about Patrick Omame and Mike Remmers and John Halapio and, you know, Connor Barwin if Daniel Jones becomes a franchise quarterback. Like, that's just kind of how it works. True. Uh, it's that but, big a decision. That, that, that counts like 10 times. That, that, that's like 10 moves right there, Daniel yeah, Jones, in like compared 20. to, you could just erase like 10 bad moves, basically. Yeah, maybe even like 20 moves. Okay. I mean, a 20 timer. You know, yeah. So I so so it's not going to be an F, I guess, because you do like Daniel Jones. I think it's got to be incomplete, you know, and and then um, and then we kind of see how the next off season uh, develops. Um, so I, I think if you had to assign a grade, I don't know what would you give him. Probably a C minus or D at this point. I was going to say that too. I was going to say that too. I mean, just because there's like you said, there's been too many mistakes. For me to feel confident going forward that he's going to get enough right to put it all together, that, that's that's my big. That would be my biggest thing. And there's just been some philosophical things that I just the way they're building their team in general. It's like a big physical team, more based more around the run. You know, like it, like that's not the way I would build a team in today's NFL. So to me, like I, the philosophically, I, I I don't agree with a lot of the things he's done, like getting rid of good players and. Preaching culture, like I'm a talent guy. Like I, I get it, and I, I believe in culture. But you can't win without talent. And some of the moves he made has stripped them of, you know, really good talent. And in one case, we're talking about you know basically transcendent talent. Disagree? I mean, are you on board with me here? I am. I'm absolutely on board with uh, with you here. What What is their um, is their salary cap? Uh, uh, like their they're, open salary cap for twenty. They're in good. They're like in good six, shape. Six million. Yeah, they're going to be in good shape. They're going to have. They're going to have a lot of money. They're going to have, I think, in the range of eighty million. I don't know off the top of my head, but okay. they, they, so they're going to be very healthy. But the thing is, 
they were going to be healthy regardless because all the guys that they had signed that Reese had signed that one season in free agency. Right. What was it? 26, 2015? 2015 or 2016, whatever it was. Uh, those guys were all dis- disposable at this point, right? Those, none of those guys had basically any guaranteed money left. So they could have been able to get rid of it. The only one who would have would be Odell, obviously. And they're taking that one on the chin this year. And that's why they stink this year. I mean, you put Eli's 20 million that he's 23 million that he counts against the cap this year with the guys that they're paying not to be on the team. That's 60 million dollars of guys that aren't even on the roster. So how are you going to win like that? You can't, right? It's not even possible. So right. this one is a tough one, but you had to pick Dave Gettleman's worst move. What do you got? Which one is the one that really just bothers you that that he made? I mean, I, I would say right now it would be keeping Eli Manning on the roster onto, onto the 2019 roster, paying that bonus. I believe it was due at the Five beginning million. of May. Yeah, which essentially March. March. I think okay, it was March. Yeah. Okay, yeah, which essentially locked Eli Manning onto the roster instead of you know, look, and I I know that like people love Eli Manning. Like I remember, I grew up. I was a, I was a Cal Ripken fan. You know. And I loved Cal Ripken. And as the end started to near, you know, I felt like sentimentality towards him. So I can, like, sympathize with with a lot of the fans about, you know, just wanting to send out Eli Manning on the best possible terms, you know, in in the easiest possible way. And there's really no easy possible, you know, there's no easiest way. But I think that if you are going to, you know, compete with teams in the NFL like the Patriots who – they're always willing to get rid of a player one year early, you know, one year too early, right? Um, and not be strapped with this this massive, massive salary uh, of, of Eli Manning. They they could have used that money to you know go out and try to get a free agent veteran quarterback and pair him up with Daniel Jones. Uh, they could have rolled that money into their two thousand or into their two thousand twenty salary cap allotment, and you know instead of seventy million had you know. Point, uh, had ninety million available uh, for next year, so I, I think that Eli, like Eli Manning, like keeping Eli Manning was just a completely sentimentality based decision, and I think that those are moves that truly winning organizations tend not to make. Hardest thing to do though is to get rid of those kind of guys. I know I mean, it's it, it is, it is, and yeah. you're right. And, and a lot of guys make it. It never, it never ends well. But the good organizations are able to do it, and the Giants haven't, and they're paying for it right now. So, give me Dave Gettleman's best non-draft move that you like. Give me, give me the one move that you could find that you're like, okay, I like this move that he made. I think that Golden Tate has shown us enough that that looks like it's... Yeah, you're high on Tate, huh? Look at this. Well, I mean, he's, he's been balling, dude. Yeah, he he's can play. And, and, and he's really come in handy you know, due to the Sterling Shepard situation. So he's re- and, um, and Darius Slayton has stepped up a little bit, too. I think overall, though... Probably Marcus Golden, um, but I also think that that's mainly attributable to Marcus Golden's ties to the defensive coordinator from Arizona. Right, and you know they got Marcus Golden on a one-year deal, like a one-year prove-it deal. So who knows if he's going to be back? He's probably going to try to parlay that into the biggest possible contract that he can. Yeah, um, yeah. So I, I mean, there's really not a lot of good non-draft moves that Dave Gettleman has made. This draft class, because their roster is so barren of talent, this draft class has gotten the opportunity to play a lot. So it looks like it probably the draft class is probably 
it probably isn't as good as it looks. They're just getting a lot of opportunity to play. A lot of teams will draft players and they don't play, you know, really in their first year. They're just like lightly used reserves. Right. This draft class has gotten a ton of opportunity to play. The most in the NFL. It, it does look good. Yeah, the most in the NFL. So it does look good on paper, but it probably isn't quite as good because they just happen to be in you know a, a situation where they're on a bad roster and they're all getting to play. Yeah, well, yeah, that is definitely the case. And in some degrees, I know the Giants would rather not be playing guys like DeAndre Baker. Like, he's playing every snap. Like, you know, yeah. if they had... Uh, if they were in a different situation, they would give him time. You know, he he's not ready to play every snap and be a, a full-time starter at this point of his career. But they have no choice because that's where they are. They really look at their look who they have behind them. They really have they have a bunch of other rookies, and then Antonio Hamilton, who they tried to play in Week One, and it turned into a total disaster. So that's kind of I, I kind of see what you're talking about there. You know, the only reason I was a little surprised by you, you, the, how much you like Tate is because, and this is nothing to do with him as a player because he's actually a good player. You can see that each week that he's been on the field, is that he did get suspended. And there's a right. Giants team that questioned, you know, they sat there and preached culture, 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 and the receiver they brought in basically got suspended, and then in the first four games, they didn't have him available. So that's the only reason I'm a little bit surprised in that. So, well, again, I mean, it's a small sample to pick from when we're, you know, trying to pick, you know, what are the <laughs> best moves. I mean, right. Yeah. So real quick, and then we'll move on to the next thing. You talk a lot about the cocoon. Of the NFL, right? Explain what you mean by that and where the Giants kind of fall into it in your estimation. Yeah, so the cocoon is really, it's a concept that, and it's really present in, like, many industries. I mean, it is, especially like, you know, like, long-lasting industries. And the NFL has been around for a very long time. And it's the notion that, you know, um, the, the, the people that kind of started, started in the industry and maybe had success early in the industry, they don't like to change over the course of time. And they don't, and what they really don't like is like outsiders questioning what they're doing. So there, there becomes like a, a cocoon concept between those people and they try to like re- reject, uh, just outsiders ideas and you know the like in baseball eventually the cocoon the the old the old guard was kind of ushered out and it was you know they like the uh, nfl or major league baseball teams like started hiring people outside of baseball right to run the league and, they, and then those teams astro ball yeah started to get to the top and you know we've seen like the eagles step outside of the cocoon and that really helped propel them to the Super Bowl. The Patriots have always uh, been been very progressive in terms of looking uh, outside of the cocoon for any possible advantage. I mean, even to the point where they've like been accused of cheating multiple times, right. um, just always <laughs> looking for a competitive advantage. Um, uh, the, the Giants are, you know, kind of an old guard team right now. I think that Pat Shermer does have some progressive ideas, but, I think that for the most part, they're one of the most old, oldest guard franchises in the NFL right now, um, because I mean they're you know they're hiring what uh, Ernie Acorsi to head up their their GM search, and of course he's going to hire his buddy you know Dave Gettleman, and you know the the owner's uh, son it plays a really prominent role in the the, the uh, scouting department and brother you know, they, brother and yeah and they're very big on. 
uh, nepotism and cronyism and an old guard sort of approach to the way that they build their organization. Yeah. You know, the cocoon journalism, by the way, and uh, media companies in general, are they fall into that category as well. Oh, because yeah. for, the, for the longest time, and I, I was thinking about this recently, right? When you talk about like newspapers, they had these general, they had these sports columnists, right? The, the Mike Lupicas of the world. I mean, these guys are making huge money. Somewhere yep. along the line, somebody came up with this idea, and brilliant for the person that pulled it off first, because they created a job. Wait, hold on. I want a job where I'm going to make significantly more than I'm making to work appreciably less. You know, like, so I'm going to write two columns a week. I'm, I basically can write them from my couch half the time. And I want you to pay me significantly more than everyone else who's busting their butt. And those people existed on the payroll forever. And, the, and you yeah. wonder why a lot of these companies and papers eventually folded because it was the most ridiculous job. Like, you're going to make a million dollars to write twice a week half the time on things you could just do opinions from your couch. Like, that was, that, that's just an absurd business model. And eventually it came back to bite them. Yeah, that's, that's a great example. It, and it, again, it exists in so many companies, in so many industries. In so many uh, business operations, it's not certainly not limited to pro sports. Yeah, so uh, it really is. And in football, you see it because the Patriots, and I love that about them, is they're always looking for advantages and ways to move forward. It, it, it's really, it's really special the way, the way they operate and the way they work and the things that they do. Uh, it seems like they're almost always a, a step ahead, and that's mm-hmm. why they are where they are. And the Giants seem to be a step behind over these last couple of years, and that's why they are where they are. So. We're going to do a little revisionist history because we can, and it's fun. You know, we're, we're going to let you be the Giants general manager, right? We're going to turn back the clock to 2018, back to the draft, okay? The Giants, you, you, you have the number two overall pick, Evan Silva. What, what would you have done at the time and now? I mean, there is no question that I would have taken Sam Donald. And I think that anybody that kind of, like, thinks rationally about this would have taken Sam Darnold over uh, Saquon Barkley. And I love Saquon Barkley. Trust me. I mean, I had him, had him as the you know, number three overall uh, or number two overall fantasy running back uh, this year. You know, I've got him on fantasy teams where I'm, you know, seven and two on the season. Uh, my comparison for him coming out was uh, David Johnson, a, a combination of the strengths of David Johnson and uh, LaShawn McCoy in his prime. I'm well aware of how good he is, you know, like really, really well aware of that. <laughs> um, but the the impact of having a potential franchise quarterback in Sam Darnold, and I, again, I am well also well aware of how bad he has stunk over the last three <laughs> games. Um, but you know, he is still a very like very much squarely in play to become a long term franchise quarterback, and the the prospect of having that. And being able to, to turn the page on Eli Manning, whose salaries were outrageous, and being able to get that quarterback on a rookie contract, which you know has propelled so many teams into being able to be very aggressive in free agency and um, you know make, like make, make trades for high impact players, and just having the most valuable uh, the, the player at the most valuable position in all of pro sports on a rookie deal is such a massive massive advantage and now they do have that with daniel jones so we can look back in hindsight and you know compare all that but no question if i'm on the clock 
at number two overall, especially with all the information that we had at the time. I mean, uh, Sam Darnold was really the consensus number one quarterback prospect in that draft, even though Baker Mayfield went ahead of him. I mean, Daniel Jeremiah had him uh, as the number one uh, overall quarterback in that in that draft class, and um, he, he that's how he was rated. Like, in, if you read Bob McGinn's articles, that's where, where Sam Darnold was. Uh, I mean, he was a, a tremendous prospect coming out of USC, and he just w- would have been such a, a big difference maker for this organization, I think. Now he has fallen on, on hard times, which we can't discount. He is you – want, you want to talk about a cocoon coach, Adam Gates. How the heck did he all of a sudden <laughs> just go from being a bad head coach in Miami to immediately getting a head coaching job, bring his little little buddy, his little munchkin buddy, Dowell Loggins, over with him and just, you know, making this Dowell Loggins guy like a millionaire just for being Adam Gase's friend. Um, and, and then and hiring now, the general manager, basically. I mean, he basically got his guy yeah. in as general manager. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So, I mean, it's just, it, it you know, and that, and now you worry about Sam Darnold be, becoming a bust. What, but no question, um, I would have taken Sam Darnold. And, and how would you have followed it up then? You know, 19, you, you, this year, you're sitting at number six. Yeah, how, I mean, how would you follow taking, it up? Yeah, I mean you're you're you know maybe taking Nick Chubb in the second round of that 2000 NFL draft if you really want to take a running back early, and then you're following it up in 2019 with Josh Allen, the pass rusher. You know the the Giants, their pass rushes has actually been okay over the last couple of games, or at least before the Dallas it, it it evaporated against Dallas, of course. But they had a couple of nice moments, but overall. You know, the, the whole body of work by James Bechter, I mean, they have not been able to get after the quarterback at all. Well, they, so don't have not, the, they don't have the horses. I mean, they, this is right. one of the least talented defenses I've seen in a really long time. They're really, yeah. I mean, around the league. If it wasn't for the Dolphins, they'd be the least talented defense in the NFL by far. Yeah, so Josh Allen would have been an easy selection. Josh Allen's having a great year in Jacksonville, by the way. So we could sit here and, you know, be revisionists and look at it and say, Sam Darnold and Josh Allen or Saquon and Daniel Jones? What would you rather have? Now that we're able to see basically a year or two of these guys and, and afterwards see what they kind of are, what would you? What, what do you think? Again, you know, the recency bias is real, real strong with Sam Darnold. Um, so I'm going to try to fight back against that. Because of what we've seen over the last three games, you're digging in on Darnold. I like it. I like Sam yeah. Darnold too. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely I mean, discouraged. I, I'm definitely discouraged lately. Yeah, but I, I mean, you I thought there was a lot to like from him. You have to be discouraged. There's no other way. That's why you know. Look, if we were doing this same podcast after the Dallas game, you know, it, it would have been like a cinch. Yeah, it would have been slam dunk. You know? Yeah, yeah. Really, so the best time the best time to do this really would be like after the season. We've got you know a, a much bigger sample. We we you know take four weeks off after the season. Do this podcast. We you know we're not uh, reactionary week to week. But um, yeah, I, I think that I would I would I'm trying to trying to keep a level head and not react to that recency bias so much. And I would go with uh, the quarterback that I think is at least slightly a better prospect still than Daniel Jones and. Uh, the the superior impact player to look again. I love Saquon Barkley, but I think that Josh Allen moves the needle more than Saquon Barkley does in terms of like ex- expected points added and win loss probability. Yeah, this is this is actually a staggering thing, and this really isn't 
an indictment on Saquon. It's more an indictment on his position and the impact it has. Right. The Giants are 0-6 in games that Saquon Barkley this year has started and finished. I mean, it's just... It's just such a hard position. When you put, when you like list the positions on how impactful they are towards ultimately winning, like on their own, it, it's just, it's, it's not near the top. It really isn't. It's, it's yeah. just, it's just the way the NFL is these days. So let's finish up here. We're going to play a little game. We're going to call it Never Would I Ever. Okay. So I'm going to give you some Dave Gettleman moves, moves that probably all of them you would never want to make, but you're going to have to pick the lesser of the two evils here, okay? So the lesser of the two evils, two evils. Which one of these bad moves would you take over the other even worse move, okay? You got it? All right, I got it. So would you draft a running back, number two overall, when you don't have a franchise quarterback and you have an aging quarterback in Eli Manning, or would you bring 37- and 38-year-old Eli Manning back Two times over, when you know that he's already, uh, as Jerry Reese once said, on the back nine of his career and essentially was benched already. Which is the lesser of two evils? Oh, my goodness. (sighs) I mean, at least Saquon is good at football, okay? Like, Eli, for the last two years, was not good at football. So... I, this is the the rare rare moment, and you know it, the NFL has gone ten years. Without, it pains you to take the running back two overall, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it does. It does. <laughs> the NFL itself, I mean, it's told you like the every single year the the, the salaries uh, go down for the running backs. The running backs are trying to hold out, not really working. You know, it's, nobody wants to pay them. The NFL itself is even most of the NFL, at least like the progressive parts of the NFL, not the the oldest guard teams. And we're dealing with the Giants here. Most of the NFL gets it here. But, um, yeah, I mean, at least Saquon Barkley is, like, good at football. So I'm, I'm going to take him at number two overall in 2018. So Saquon Barkley, good at football over Eli Manning at that point. Bad at football. Okay, got it. Next up, sign Nate Solder or hand Eric Flowers the starting tackle job. This was a right tackle job. After he had complained that you signed a left tackle and being insulted. Which of the two is the lesser of two evils? I mean, based on, you know, the, the little com- conversations that you you and I have had about Eric Flowers and, you know, your uh, history with him, <laughs> that is not a dude that I would want anywhere near, you know, w- within 100 miles of my organization. So I will take the L on Nate Solder and happily uh, jettison Eric Flowers. The ownership is going to take a big hit to the pocket, but you're going with taking Nate Solder there. Yeah, in so, a, a culture move. In a cult, yeah, that, Nate Solder is a good guy. I will get. He definitely is. I I, I enjoy talking to Nate Solder and a quality, good human being. So you, he has that going for him. And as much as he is not worth the money that he's worth, right? He's still an NFL player and an NFL starting caliber player. Just that mm-hmm. once you're Expectations are so high because of the money. That's sort of what he's always going to be compared to, right? And that's not that's not really his fault that somebody was willing to pay him that money. Because me and you both right. would have taken that money. Oh yeah, and anybody out there would have taken that money. We're not stupid. Well, at least I don't think I'm stupid. I know a lot of people out there think I'm stupid. But all right, next, would you? Which is the worst? Never would I ever trade for Alec Ogletree, 
Reminder, he's getting paid as one of the top inside linebackers in the NFL. And the Rams couldn't wait to get rid of him. Or sign Patrick Omame to a long-term deal to be your starter at right guard and basically realize less than half a season in that he couldn't play and he needed to straight out be cut. I mean, no one even else, no one else in the league even wanted Patrick Omame uh, when they when they gave him a decent deal. At least they did kind of keep that clause in there where they could get the comp pick back if they cut him during the season. Yeah. So they kind of played their cards okay there. I mean, it was a terrible signing, but you know he wasn't he wasn't playing in front of Sam Darnold. At least he wasn't playing in front of Daniel Jones. He was playing in front of Eli Manning and. You know, he just he didn't he ultimately didn't hurt you that bad. It was a terrible signing. It ultimately didn't hurt you that bad. Ogletree is hurting your pocketbook and not really helping you on the field, with the exception of you know the uh, an occasional big play here or there. Um, so I, I think I would actually sign Patrick Omame. So you've now drafted a running back number two overall. <laughs> sign Nate Solder and Patrick Omame to your offensive line, and now. You're going to have to, A, trade Odell Beckham Jr., one of the most explosive, best best receivers. Uh, you know what? He is the best receiver uh, Giants fans have ever seen in Giants history. Or you're going to sign Jonathan Stewart and then proceed to explain that that is why you drafted Saquon Barkley and you don't believe, and I'm banging on the keyboard like Dave Gettleman did at the podium, mm-hmm. that... That is one of the reasons why you know running backs can still play well into their 30s because his play had not dropped off when everyone in the world knew his play had dropped off. (sighs) (laughs) Are you trading Odell Beckham Jr. or signing Jonathan Stewart and using him to justify the Saquon Barkley pick? One of the... the, the the drawbacks of all these receiver moves that he is that, that the Giants have made, and it's, you know specifically the Odell Beckham trade is like they're trotting out guys like you know you, you lose someone and all of a sudden you're trotting out Benny Fowler and Cody Latimer every week is like you know playing like 70 percent of the snaps. Yeah, you, know, you have like no wide receiver depth at all. You you don't have a, a true front line number one. Um, but I mean, there's just there is no way. I could would ever sign Jonathan Stewart. <laughs> so it, it's got to be, yeah, it's got to be, uh, it's got to be. I, I would not sign Jonathan. Stewart. So you're you're no trading way. Odell Beckham Jr. Evan Gettleman there with the moves. We love him. We love it. We, thanks for playing along. Now we I really appreciate it. This is Evan Silva. He's the man, by the way. He is partners with my buddy Adam Levitan at this great site called Establish the Run. Okay, and if you want to catch Evan's weekly matchup column, which you should, if you want to have any chance to compete in your fantasy or daily football, you need to make sure you subscribe to them and make sure you read that matchup column. And they have other great content as well. But I mean, that, you don't—you really don't have a chance. I, I want to know real quick. You do that matchup column; it's so good and so in depth. Give me the rundown of how you go about doing that and how, the time that it takes for you to put that all together and go through every single game that's on that week's schedule and getting all these amazing stats and numbers and matchups on that game and nailing it really every time. I mean, I just spend like 
all day Monday just figuring out everything that happened in every game. Um, you know, I'll watch all the games on uh, Game Pass. and You watch I'll every look- game? Yeah, I mean, late in the season when there are no buys, uh, which is starting to come up, I, I will, I will, like, I, I won't be able to. I just can't watch every every single game, especially like ones that. So don't Giants, have Jets, Giants, Jets right. might be out. Right. Although this week we've got six teams on by, so I'll be able to watch every mm. game. But um, but late in the season, yeah, like when just two like teams that don't have big fantasy implications are playing, I, I just I tell me at least it's the it. condensed version now. Oh, yeah, for sure. Okay. The condensed version, by the way, for people that don't know, on Game Pass, basically cuts out every commercial and all the time in between plays. And what is it? Boil down to a whole entire game of every play in, what, 30, 40 minutes? Yeah, it's usually about 40, 45 minutes. Yeah, no, I I can't go grind the all 22 or something like that. I mean, that would be insane. Yeah, it takes takes several hours. Then I'm figuring out, like, how many receivers, how many uh, routes run uh, receivers are running, how many snaps they're playing. Uh, you know, figuring out just how much opportunity. I like to uh, chart like uh, when when uh, 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 receivers or, or running backs lose uh, big gains or touchdowns due to pen, uh, due to penalties. You know, all that kind of stuff. And uh, at the end of the day, yeah, I have like a write up on every single um, NFL, every fantasy relevant player in every game every week. It takes all week. You know, it's just uh, like sleeping. Eating, working on that, hanging out with my daughter, and that's that's my week every week uh, during the NFL season. That, my friends, is why Evan Silva is an NFL savant because he sits there and grinds every single game, and then comes and brings you all the information you need. Evan, appreciate you stopping by. Thanks, Jordan. And with that, we're going to wrap up this episode of Breaking Big Blue. Hope you guys like that, guys and girls. I should always say that, guys and girls. I hope you all like that because. You know, it was a state of the Giants. And you know, I think in a way, we kind of went softer than I thought we were going to go. I thought it was he was going to bring straight fire, give Gettleman's F, Fs and fire everybody and say every movie made was terrible. But you know what? That's just not the kind of people we are. We bring you, like I said, we're realists. We give you, bring it to you as we see it. And you have to be honest. He has Daniel Jones. Under his belt. The Giants do, and Dave Gettleman does right now. And that's a big one if he turns out to be the player that he's shown flashes of being able to become. So, with that, I'm going to go away with a little, finish up here with a little uh, Jordan on a beat, where I tell you what it's like to cover the Giants. Now, when I first came on the beat every every year at the break, at the bye, every year they used to have a state of the Giants. John Mara would talk. Jerry Reese would talk. This was really the only time Jerry Reese would talk during the season. He'd talk before the season and then midseason, you know, the bye week. And John Mara would talk too. In recent years, hasn't been quite the same. You know, John Mara, I don't believe, talks anymore. He hasn't talked in a few years. Uh, Dave Gettleman, I can't remember if he talked last year. I, I don't think he talked on the record last year at all uh, during the season. I, I really don't. So things have changed. Now, we haven't heard from them. I will say, I even tried to get for you, Giants fans and everybody, I tried to get Steve Tisch recently to see if he wanted to talk and give sort of a state of the Giants. That was that request was denied. I asked if there was any any chance of that happening. The, the answer was zero. So 
I, I tried to get you the other owner's perspective on where everything is, but the Giants were not interested in that. They didn't think it served its purpose, I guess, which, okay. Uh, I am now probably 0 for 20-something on one-on-one requests with ownership since I've started covering the team in 2013. So uh, that's where we're at on that one. Uh, they just have not been interested in any one-on-ones with me along the way. Uh, and really, uh, Steve Tisch and John Mara haven't done very, very many one-on-ones, although Mara has. I don't think Tisch has. Uh, Mara has done a handful with a bunch of different people, but just the way it turned out, I guess, is he's never sat down with me. So I've tried to get their opinions on a bunch of things for you guys and girls, and it just hasn't worked out. So that is where we stand. Now, I also wanted to tell a real quick story because, look, I, I cover the Giants. I have a family. My daughter's eight years old. Okay? And she, you know, kids say they're unfiltered. They just say things as they see them, as they, as they think, and don't think twice about it. So the unfiltered view that they give is kind of funny. And my daughter asks every week, did the Giants win? Nope, they lost. Giants win? Nope, they lost. So recently, after this week's game, they, they lose to the Cowboys. Daddy, why do the Giants always lose? Why do they stink? <laughs> and what do you say to that? You know, you're like, ah, I don't know. And she says, well, why do they, uh, why'd they trade Odell Beckham? And my God, they didn't think he was, he was a good guy. He wasn't a good guy. What do you mean he wasn't a good guy? You said you liked him. Uh, he, he wasn't, they didn't, they didn't think he was a good guy to have around. So they traded him. And to hear the questions that an eight year old asked, I would, I think I should give her the opportunity to give her opinion of the Giants. She, she said, even when Victor Cruz was cut, she says, uh, she says to me, Daddy, why'd they fire Victor Cruz? And like, what do you say to that? Uh, he, they didn't think he could play. He was old. He's old. Aren't you older than him? <laughs> and all these things are true. But this is what kids are like. They just say what comes to my mind. And my daughter, my daughter, as she's been saying to me lately, is, Daddy, you have a kind of a big round belly. Like, yeah, okay, I got it. I know that. And so the, the honesty comes out at all, in all corners. I mean, that's just the, that's just the way they are. And it, you know what? It's kind of entertaining as well to hear unfiltered views like of why the Giants, in her estimation, aren't very good and why they lose all the time. So, uh, that's it for this episode. I'll give you my real quick Giants-Jets prediction because I know you're all dying for it. This is the huge game, the double bagger, the battle of New York ineptitude. And guess what? I can't pick the Jets in that one. I'm going to have to go with the Giants. They're actually favored for a reason. After having watched the Jets in recent weeks, I can't look at it and be confident saying the Jets can beat this Giants team right now. Now, I will say... I expect the Jets' offense, which has been awful, to have some success against this Giants' defense, which has been equally bad. Not equally bad. The Giants' defense has been better than the Jets' offense. That's how bad the Jets' offense has been. And I'm going with the Giants in this game. 26-25. to 25. I know you're going to say, what kind of score is 26-25? to 25? But these are two bad teams. Three combined wins. Two of the teams with the most losses, two of the three teams with the most losses since the start of 2017, they find ways to do things that we don't predict, that you can't even expect. And that's why I came up with 26, 25 Giants in a thriller. So at least they go into the bye week with a win. They're now sitting at 3-7 and seven after this victory. 
and feeling a little bit better about themselves, although they shouldn't be feeling too good about themselves because that's still pretty bad. Anyway, that's it for this episode of Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host, Jordan Ronan. Thank you to Evan Silva. See you next time. <laughs>